0: Take your Bibles turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter seven. It's the last time I'll say that for a little while. We've been in Matthew five, six and seven since June. Here we are uh, at the end of August, closing in on fall in this really strange year where it's it seems in some weeks like time is flying by and in other weeks, a week seems like a month. And so As we are walking through that together, we're going to finish up today our our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've called Summer on the Mount. We spent the summer here, and we camped out here for a while, and we're going to finish up today. So let me ask you this question. If you had to summarize your life in six words, what words would you choose? you only have six words, what words would you choose to summarize your life? Well, several years ago, that was the question that an online magazine asked. They were inspired by what seems to be a kind of um, uh, a legend out there that may be true, but um, about Ernest Hemingway, the great American writer who was asked by someone if he could write a story in six words. Now, you, if you know anything about Hemingway, you know he's not the most hopeful writer. He didn't live the most hopeful life. He was uh, always someone that saw kind of the, the dark side of life. But when challenged to write a story in six words, he came up with a dark interpretation. For sale, baby shoes never worn. Now, whatever reason, the online magazine thought it'd be great. Let's let other people do this. Right. And so they sent it out and they got tons of responses, some poignant, some funny, some uh, nonsensical, Uh, they took them and they put them into a book. And the name of the book is Not Quite What I Was Planning, which is six words that summarize life a lot of times, right? Amen. Not quite what I was planning. And so they put several of these together into a book and they listed who was there. And so here are a few from their six word life summaries. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel, right? What's, what are the chances? Or this one, cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. Now, just so you know, that was written by a nine-year-old. Another one, the psychic said I'd be richer. Another one, not a good Christian, but trying. And then the last one that, that from this book says, thought I would have more impact. So you see, you can say a lot in six words. There are lots of kind of things there, and I do think that when you look at scripture, when you look at our lives, one of the things is that most of the time, that title of that book is appropriate. It's not what I, not quite what I was planning. But there's another six words that I think could describe all of us. Despite our unique circumstances and where we are in life and the jobs that we've chosen and the families that we have, there is one six-word phrase that I think can describe where we are today, all of us individually. And it's simply this. A culmination of decisions made daily. Over 70 years Researchers say that you and I will make, on average, in 70 years, 1,788,500 decisions. That's 70 decisions a day, 25,500 a year, and as the philosopher Albert Camus said, life is really but a sum of all of our choices. The choices that we make day after day after day after day, what we give ourselves to, what we follow, what we listen to, what we watch, what we evaluate, how we move in our lives. Those 70 decisions a day individually stacking up to twenty five thousand five hundred decisions a year, stacking up to one million seven hundred and eighty eight thousand five hundred decisions in a lifetime determine the destiny of our lives the Bible is full of moments when we are called to make decisions, called to choose. Joshua 24, 15, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Psalm 1, are you going to choose the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous? Proverbs fifteen nineteen, are you going to go the way of the slacker or the way of the upright? In Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20, when God says, I set before you today both life and death. Choose life. Today we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and it's decision time. One of the things that was drilled into me in my studying, in my schooling, in my college and seminary and um, Ph.D. work, one of the things that was drilled into me is that if you don't call for a decision or force or call for the listener to make a decision or a choice, it's not a sermon. It can be a Bible study, it can be a lesson, it can be a discussion, but that sermons must end with a call to decision. Now that comes biblically from Peter's call on the day of Pentecost, and it comes from this sermon. The Sermon on the Mount ends with Jesus saying, Now choose. So just a quick review to summarize what's happened. This is the point of the sermon we do last week or in the last three weeks, three months of our sermon series. Here's what we've learned. The Sermon on the Mount starts with a discussion of the Beatitudes, of the character of the people of God. And then in Matthew five twenty, the theme of the entire sermon is unraveled after the Beatitudes, after Jesus gives his relation to the law. And he says that for those listening, unless their righteousness was better than those that they considered the most righteous, they would never enter the kingdom of God. And he says that's especially true in your attitudes. And so there's that whole section of you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you this. You've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you this. And it goes to the heart of who we are and the inner part of what we believe. And then he says, unless your righteousness is greater in your disciplines, in prayer, in fasting, in giving. You'll never enter the kingdom of God. And then he talks about whether your righteousness is greater in faith. He talks about how we handle money and how that is our security and about how we worry in life. And that if we truly were followers of Christ, of God, we would not worry or have financial worry in our lives. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the last part of that, relationships. So you think about this almost as the four points of a sermon. What are your where's your righteousness and your attitudes and your disciplines and your faith and in your relationships? It's almost like he says you have your vertical relationship with God, right? And is that working itself out into your horizontal relationships as well? And now he comes to the end of the sermon. And at the end of the sermon, he calls for a decision we're going to see in this passage that we're going to read, and it's a lengthy passage, verses 13 through 29, we're going to see this ending, this call, this choosing, that the options we have are limited. It is not a wide open field of choose whatever you like. It is not a choose your own adventure, and when you get to the end, everything will work out well. That the fruit of our choices will be evident to people around us. And that the consequences of the decisions we make are eternal. Matthew chapter 7 starting in verse 13 says this. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do do who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I have never known you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded the house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears the words of mine and doesn't act like them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and it pounded that house and it collapsed. And it collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes couple of things to be reminded of as we dive into this particular portion and to the choice section of this sermon is remember that he is preaching to a crowd of people that would have included scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders of their day, who he is basically calling out what they are teaching to the people. He's also preaching to people. That are gathered trying to seek and to find their way to what God would have them to do. And he is warning them against following the teachings of those that are giving them. At the same time calling those that are giving them to come in repentance and follow him. And so when he gets to the end of the message. He's going to remind them of some things about the choice that is set before us. And the first one he says is that we need to choose between the narrow gate. And the wide gate. Now to kind of put a little more into it there, he's telling us to choose between the narrow gate that leads to life and the wide gate that leads to destruction. At the beginning of that in verse 13, it says, enter through the narrow gate. That's a call for decisive and immediate action. Now we must make a choice in our life at some point to say, I am going to seek and define the way of God, the way of Christ. And that is not the wide open way, that is the narrow gate to life. The comparison is obvious here that there is a wide road that looks easier to travel and that more people are on. And yet it leads to destruction when the narrow path that follows what God would intend is less open, less easy to travel, and yet is the way that we should choose. Over the summer, we um, a couple of times, two or three times, went and visited waterfalls or hiking trails during this Covid quarantine. We weren't traveling. We, we, you know, we all, all of our church trips were canceled. All of our family trips were canceled. And so we just take a weekend and go. And it was interesting to me. There were two in particular that I contrasted in my mind. We went to Burgess Falls. Anybody here been to Burgess Falls? Hiked that, right? Beautiful, big, uh, waterfall. We hiked it. Now what I noticed when we first got to Burgess Falls is there was a definite entry point that was wide and that the path for a trail was wide and well-worn and obvious. Now, just to be honest with you, those are the ones that I like. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Like, well-worn, lots of people have been on here, feels safe, feels good, good to go. could see, every, you know, you could see as you're looking down and you're walking towards the big overlook and all of that, you could see your whole family, even though my boys are sprinting, trying to go as fast as we can, and some of us are trying to observe and enjoy, and you just, you know, we're different, but you can see everybody, like, okay, we're stretched out, but we can see. The other one we went to that was different than that it was one that they're trying to develop and build in Murray County. That is um, winding stairs, just in the middle there, and it is not cut out and well worn and wide. We got separated on that, Susan and Susan and. Um, Ava took off one way, the boys were on their own path, and Maddie and I were together. And there was this part of it that we thought everybody was going to try and found out we were the only two that tried it. And it was extremely difficult, and there was no discernible path on parts of it. I don't like those. It was also straight up, it felt at times, there was a moment in that when, and I assume we were on the right trail, when I had to figure out foot placement and hand placement to get up a rock. Yeah, I don't I really don't like that, all right? Jesus says that for many people, and it's not even like a well worn trail path, it's like a superhighway that is built. The way that leads to destruction is the easiest path to see. But the way that the Lord calls us to is a narrow path. Now this is not a new thought for us today, or even for Jesus. It was in Jewish thought throughout, this wide and narrow. Proverbs 1, verses 10 through 16, Solomon lays out for the one that he's writing to, his son saying, listen, there are going to be easy choices to make that aren't necessarily the right choice. He tells us Jesus doesn't hear why we're to choose the narrow road. He says because it leads to eternal life and because it very few find it. it is something you have to search for. And throughout the Bible, we see this exclusivity taught and it is so countercultural to the way we live today that we think that there is one way in order for people to be saved and spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. But it is not foreign to what scripture teaches. On Wednesday nights, I'm teaching a Bible study online and in here. On the Ten Commandments and the very first commandment is what you shall have no other gods before me. It's not like Jesus is the one that introduces this idea that it's a narrow path and only one way to get there, but he does talk about it. John 14:6, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4:12, there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved other than the name of Jesus. First Timothy two five, there says that there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And so when we get to the end of the sermon, what Jesus is trying to give to the people that are gathered there, what he wants them to understand in that moment is that this is not one of many options you have in life that will take you to the right place. This is not the proverbial multiple trails to the top of the mountain. And when we get there, we're all in the same place. He says, this is the way. This is the choice. This is the road. This is it. And again, we live in a world where we say that and people think of us as close minded and intolerant and people that aren't in touch with the reality of the world around us. And yet, if that is true, if it is true that there is one way to get to eternal life in heaven with God, and we say, "Now you can do whatever you want to, then we are being cruel and dishonest to the people around us. I've talked about this a couple of times, but one video that every time I think about this comes back into my mind is the video of, it's a YouTube video of um, one of the magicians from Penn and Teller. I think it's Penn. It's the one that talks, whichever one talks. And he says in this video, he's an an atheist, or I think he classifies himself as an agnostic. But one of the things he says is, if you believe that the only way that I can spend eternity in heaven with God is through Jesus, and you do not tell me that, it is the same as if there is a bus coming towards me, and you do nothing to protect me from getting hit. Now he says he doesn't believe that, but he says, I don't understand why people get mad at Christians for telling people that. Jesus never shies away from it, and he comes even in this as he has given a heart. When you think about what he has talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, it is hard. Amen. I mean, it is not easy stuff. He didn't throw softballs to us and say, "Just try your best." This is not a ribbon for participation kind of sermon. And he gets to the end and he says, now choose what I have laid out for you. Now part of the reason of the Sermon on the Mount, part of the reason for us to understand, is that he was putting a standard that would be impossibly high to be to, for us to follow. Just as the Ten Commandments is a standard, and the law of God is a standard that is impossibly high for us to follow. And as a result, we come to a place where we realize our failings and we choose the one who has lived it perfectly. Died for our sins and risen from the grave. And so he starts this choice section and says, choose the narrow gate. Scripture says there is a way that seems right in our own heart, but in the end it leads to destruction. Choose the way of the narrow gate. And then the second thing he does in here is he says, and be sure you Use discernment in who it is that you follow. When you follow somebody, use discernment. Now, the way he talks about this is he says, be careful. And this must have been an awkward moment for several of the scribes and Pharisees. And we're not sure in this particular message how this was delivered. If there were, if he was looking at people, if he was talking to people, if he was talking to the crowd and saying, be careful about wolves in sheep's clothing. Be careful about those that are trying to lead you in a different direction. Or perhaps in the style of Jesus, he was looking directly at the teachers and the Pharisees that are around him saying, Be careful about these that would lead you astray. He says basically that you can tell by their fruit. And he says to them basically if they are teaching or preaching anything other than what I have been teaching, what I have been preaching, then they are false prophets. And this phrase here, be on your guard, that he talks about in verse 15 is a phrase that means it is a continual watching, a constant attention to be looking out for things that do not align with the gospel of Jesus Christ and what is being taught in the scriptures. And generally, he's not talking about something that 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 is an is an off comment or a an off idea that disqualifies them completely ever. What he's talking about here is a consistent pattern of speaking in a way that is contrary to the teachings of Jesus. One of the things that I've become more aware of in recent years and even now more so in recent months is that I talk a lot in public. Like here, right? And I am sure that in my almost 20 years of speaking almost weekly in public for 25 minutes or more, (laughs) at least 25, 30, 40 minutes, that there have been moments in that time when I have said things... That are inaccurate or wrong. I know there are. And so it's not like, well, one time Brother Lyle used a statistic incorrectly and misquoted it. And so we can't ever listen to him again. That's not the kind of discernment Jesus is talking about here. What he's talking about is, are they preaching the same message of the love of God and his desire for people to be redeemed in spite of the fact that they can't do it themselves that God is willing to reach out to them that he is going to save them through grace by faith and not of works lest any man should boast does it mean that he is are they teaching that that there is a standard that God desires that none of us can match up to that and after we have been saved by God after we have been saved by him then there is a Way that we want to live in order to honor and to glorify him, but that that is not what saves us or keeps us saved. Does the doctrine, does the teachings that they're doing consistently line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do they falter on either edge of throwing off all responsibility to not worry about what we do after we've been saved because Jesus has saved us, what does it matter? Or do they falter on the other side of putting such a heavy burden on us that we can't possibly bear it? One of the people that I'm fascinated with in the history of the church is a guy named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was an evangelist. You can directly trace Billy Sunday to Billy Graham uh, Billy Sunday was one of the ones that would tour the country and they would erect um, auditoriums or temporary places, kind of like the Ryman that was erected for a revival and church meetings that's turned into a music place. But he would go around the country doing that. He's one of the ones that's famous for putting sawdust, the sawdust trail, walk the sawdust trail. And Billy Sunday was a former baseball player who was saved out of that. And he would often in his sermons find himself running and sliding on stage or into the crowd. Okay. So I'm a baseball fan, I love these kind of stories, it's kind of fun. But Billy Sunday was also of that time frame when he talked about being saved and then he said, "And if you're saved, here are things you would never do." And that included a lot of things that my grandmother said I would never do if I were saved and did not happen in her house. Like cards. Some of you're like, "Wait, you can play cards?" What it' Right. There there was an era when he talked specifically about cards and dancing of any kind. And he had a list of things that if you're saved, you can never do this. And one of the things I love about Billy Sunday was his bold proclamation of the gospel. One of the things that I look back on and say, what are my key elements that I have from my life that I say, well, real Christians would never do that. And how do they line up with Scripture? Jesus says that if you watch people long enough, if you're consistently on your guard, then you'll be able to tell those that are genuinely trying to live for the Lord and teaching the things that God's called us to teach and those that are not. One of my commitments to you as your pastor is that I want to and I try to stick closely to what the Bible teaches, because here's the thing. In those 20 years, I know I've said some things wrong, but at any moment that I have taught what the scripture teaches, I have taught nothing wrong. Because God's word is always right. And we want to be tied to that. Then when you go somewhere or you're a part of something or you're in a Bible study or you're talking to someone and they're giving you advice or life lessons or how to live like a Christian and it is not biblically based, you need to be on your guard. Whether that is a pastor from the pulpit or a friend at work or a family member giving you instruction. So he says, choose the narrow way that leads to life. Be careful who you listen to in the progress. And then the last thing is, make sure your confession is genuine and not false. I'll be honest with you, verses 21 through 23 are scary verses, even for those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. For those of us that work, for for me, that have given my life to my vocation of doing this verse 21, when it says not, everybody says, Lord, Lord, will enter on that day, but only those that do the will of my father. Think about the other parts where the sheep and the goats are divided and where Jesus talks about doing that for the least of these and that people come and say, Lord, what about this? And what about that? First of all, I just think it's kind of crazy to think about when you read this passage, people arguing with God about how good they are. And that's one of the points Jesus is making, that nothing that we do in our own power for our own sake or for our own kind of trying to bring righteousness to our life is intended to save us. Didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And the point here is not that they may not have been out there preaching, may not have been out there driving out demons or doing many miracles. The point is they never had the relationship with God in the first place. he says to them, depart from me, you lawbreakers. And verses 24 through 27 then give us a picture of what determines whether it is true or whether it is false. And there's only one difference between those that build on the rock and those that build on the sand. And just so you know, the word for wind here is not like a little wind. It's like a major wind. A wise man who built his house on the rock is someone that hears the word of the Lord and puts them into practice. The one that builds his life on the sand hears the word of the Lord and does not put them into practice. Does not live them out. The word wind here could be translated in a modern interpretation of this as, and and I'm I'm not saying that this is what they had in mind back in the day that Jesus said it, because this really wasn't a factor of what was going on there, but it can be interpreted and understood in the same way we understand hurricanes. And here's the thing, okay? We saw what hurricanes can do this week. And the devastation they can bring. And the point that Jesus makes is this, is that our lives at some point, maybe it's during our 70, 80, 90 years on this planet, or perhaps it is at the end of our lives, but at some point our lives are going to have a moment of reckoning. And in that moment of reckoning, either through the circumstances of our life falling around us, or when we get to the end of the life and we have to stand with our judgment coming from the Lord of whether we are His and have accepted the grace and mercy that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ or we are not, that at some point it will be revealed the foundation upon which we have built our lives. And the only difference between these two is did you do what I said? Did you act on what I preached? Or did you not? I want to make very clear here. He's not talking about what I preach. He's talking about what he does. And by that he means not only the Sermon on the Mount, but what we know to be his life, his death, and his resurrection. By the way, he doesn't end the sermon on a very hopeful note. All right? It's a little fire and brimstone at the end. It collapsed with a great crash, and then he's done. I think he did that to leave that image for them in their mind, Of the destruction that comes from not choosing the narrow way. The way of God. The way of Jesus. Verse 28 and 29 just remind us of the power. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were astonished. He was teaching them like one who had authority. That there was something there. The most important decision that you will ever make in your life is whether or not you're going to accept the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and is offered in saving you from your sins. And whether you're watching online or you're here in the worship center today, of the millions of decisions that will be made in your life, none of them will matter. If you don't make the decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So have you done that? Is there fruit in your life from that? Is there some way that we can see that that has happened? Is there discernible way that you can see? Jesus says uh, uh, basically uh, an orange tree can't grow apples. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you haven't accepted Him as your Savior, you can't grow the fruit of a Christian. Not that it lasts. Have you made that decision to accept Christ? Is there discernible fruit in your life? And have you built your life on the rock of obeying and following what God's called you to do? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come today realizing that if the standard... That we have to follow. Is perfection. And if the standard even for our lives. Is perfectly following. Even this sermon on the mount. And that's it. Then we are all woefully short. Of following you. And so Lord today we pray. That as we are gathered in this place. That we would first of all confess and admit our need to be saved by you. That without you, Lord, there is no hope. That without you, Lord, there is no hope in this life. Lord, we realize that you don't ask us to to make ourselves good and then come to you. That you accept us just as we are. And we are thankful for that, Lord. Lord. We are blessed by that. Lord, we pray. I pray for each person that is listening to me online, each person that is in this place this morning, that they know, that they know, that they know, that they have been saved by you. And Lord, if they don't, Lord, that today would be the day they would either make that decision. Or at least begin to ask the questions about how and the way to make that decision to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.